Great to be back with you on this stage and, and uh, diving into one of the great stories in the Bible with you over the next few minutes. You know, as I was listening to Jeff unpack this first part of Gideon's journey last week, I felt myself totally drawn in and, you know, just captivated by the story. And uh, at, as he finished, I kind of found myself thinking, what happens next? Can't wait. And then I realized, I'm on next week, so I better figure out what happens next, right? But there is something about a compelling story, a well-told story, that really draws you in and takes you to another level, right? Several years ago, a movie came out called 300, and essentially uh, there was this evil emperor that's kind of taken over the world, and he sends a messenger to the king of Sparta, And the message essentially says, you'll be able to live in peace and and go on, but the only thing we're asking is that you bow in worship and you submit. And the king of Sparta looks at him and goes, therein lies the problem, right? Sparta doesn't submit. And he looks back at his wife and kind of weighs the cost, takes a breath, and then knocks this guy over the cliff, and it sets off a chain of events throughout the movie where he has to come up against opposition one battle after another. And he leads 300 brave, courageous, battle-tested warriors against all kinds of odds, way outnumbered. Time and time again, there's this great scene halfway through the movie where where, uh, the king and his 300 kind of gather up, and they're taking the arrows and the shots of the enemy, and they band together, and then they take a step forward toward him. And then they gear up again and take the arrows and take the onslaught, and then they take another step forward until they get close enough in contact where they can do what they need to do, never backing down, taking the next step. And even though it didn't end particularly well for this band of 300 and that leader, they showed, vulnerable in an, they showed vulnerability in an enemy. And a king who, and a godlike figure who knew all of a sudden he wasn't a god, he was vulnerable, and they inspired a whole people. What is it about stories, well-told stories that capture us and make us and help us go to a whole nother level? Uh, for me, there was the true story of these Celtic monks that has shaped the whole journey of my life over the last 10 years. If you've been at church here for a while, you've heard me speak on these Celtic monks, these ancient Christians in Northern England, pushed to the boundaries of Northern England, Ireland, in persecution, in one of the darkest times in human history. Yet these Celtic monks survived and thrived, retained Scripture for Western civilization, and they expanded powerfully through one of the remotest, hardest parts of the world by going small, by banding together in groups and going small. And that dynamic and the principles of those Celtic monks has shaped a whole ministry for me, Harbor Ministry. We've developed it around the principles of what these guys did and how they lived as they powerfully expanded the gospel by going small. Last summer, uh, we developed a podcast last year and, and sent out a video around this idea of how do you advance when opposition is so fierce and take the next steps you need to take. And you can do that by going small. And I just wanted to show you just a short part of this video, two minutes, to kind of unpack and set up the story we're about to dive into. So check this out. One of the things I've been thinking about in the season we're in is how do we advance? How do we not just react, but do much more than that? How do we actually advance the mission to lean into 
the circumstances we've been dealt and take the next steps we need to take. I mean, the word advance is interesting, a military word, really. The definition in the dictionary is moving forward in a purposeful way, putting forward one step to the next. And that's one of the things as we've been talking about these Celtic Christians and one of the things that was a mark of their movement was they advanced the mission in some of the darkest, toughest times. And how did they do that? They advanced the mission by going small. Instead of building this massive force, they banded together in small bands and they expanded the gospel in one of the most remote parts of the world, one step at a time. There's so many stories of how God has worked against the grain and caused great expansion through just a few. And uh, when we started Harbor Ministry, our vision and belief was that we could change the world by deeply and radically investing in just 20 people at a time. We were told so many times that the model of what we were doing would not work, that you couldn't mobilize enough people to kind of exercise that mission that we believed of really impacting culture and impacting the world. But what we found by going small, by being relentlessly committed to that mission of just 20 at a time, you could impact things, you could change things. A few years into that, we believe that more than ever. You know, the Bible is full of stories like that from start to finish, incredible stories. All these stories are part of a much bigger epic story that we're all invited into. Um, Jesus himself told story after story, and one time he was asked, why do you tell so many stories, so many parables? And he says this in Matthew 13, whenever someone has a ready heart, the insights and understanding comes. That's why I tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge people toward receptive insight. So let's pray. And we're going to dive into this unbelievable story in Judges 7. Lord, thanks for this morning, for this gathering. Thanks for the amazing worship we were just able to be a part of. And I pray that these words, as we read them, will sink in. And the power of your inspired word will sink in and create a readiness. Give us the eyes and ears to hear, to listen, to act on what we know we'll need to act on. Amen. So you got to wonder where Gideon was at as he falls into this story in Judges 7, where his mind was, was at. This massive force has gathered, Midianites, in the valley below him. They're on high ground, and they're seeing it. And there's one intent of this force that's gathered. Pillage Israel. Take everything of value. Destroy their families. Come against their wives and their daughters. Take anything of value and head out. Stamp them out. And here Gideon has amassed a force of 30,000 people. And that's significant. I mean, he's got 30,000 men ready to engage this monster force that's below him. But you have to wonder what he, what he was thinking when God developed a plan that absolutely makes no sense, that flies against all common sense. We're going to reduce that number, and God wastes no time in the first couple of verses of this chapter. So if you want to read with me, uh, turn to Judges 7. I'm in the NAS. And uh, this story just kind of demands that we read it through because you've got to capture the essence of it, and then we'll circle back and talk to it. So talk about it. So hang with me here. Let's start in verse 2. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many, too many for me to hand over to Midian. 
Otherwise, Israel would become boastful, saying, My own power has saved me. So now, therefore, proclaim to the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is afraid and worried is to return and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 of the 30 people returned, but about 10,000 remain. Then the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. So it shall be that he of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, he shall go with you. But everyone whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, you shall put everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps in one group, and everyone who kneels down to drink in another. Now the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. And all the rest of the people kneeled down to drink water. Okay, talk about some things that don't make sense, right? I mean, I've read this, I don't know how many times, that makes no sense. It seems so random, right? But mark these two verses, because we're going to circle back to them in a little bit. Very significant. Verse 7, And the Lord said to Gideon, I will save you with the 300 who lapped, and will hand the Midianites over to you, so have all the other people go, each man to his home. So the 300 men took the people's provisions, and their trumpets in hand, and Gideon dismissed all the other men of Israel, each to his tent, but retained the 300. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Verse 9, Now at the same time it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down to the camp, for I have handed it over to you. But, Gideon, if you're afraid, go down to the camp first with Pura, your servant, so that you will hear what they say, and afterward you will have the courage to go down against the camp. So he went down and pure his servant to the outposts of the army that was by the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley, as numerous as locusts. And their camels were without number, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. We're talking about a massive force. The best visual I could give you as they reduce this down is, if you're a fan of Lord of the Rings... And you know the third, you know this scene in the third movie when the horseman and the king of Middle Earth is riding because the capital is under attack. And he comes over the hill with his battle ready horseman and he sees the mass of people below. Check the slide out if you got it. That's what it must have looked like, something like that. Remember that scene if you've seen it? They come over and like, oh boy. I mean, we're in trouble. Yet they take that next step and they ride down that hill and engage that enemy. That's probably the visual of what we could get here. So verse 15, let's go down. When Gideon heard, oh, I'm sorry, let's go up a little bit. When Gideon came, behold, a man was relating a dream to his friend, and he said, behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley was tumbling to the camp of Midian, and it came to the tent and struck it, and it fell. And it turned upside down, and the tent collapsed. And his friend replied to him, This is nothing other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has handed over to him Midian and all the camp. And when Gideon heard the account of the dream and the interpretation, he bowed in worship. So we see for the first time in Gideon's journey, as we unpacked last week, and we come now, the first time he has broken. He has realized God is going to do what he said. He needed several help, hints and help and affirmation along the way, but he got there. And he bows in worship. And then he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has handed you over to the camp of Midian. And he divided the 300 men into three units. So now we're at 30,000 to 10,000 to 300. And now Gideon unfolds his plan, and we're going to knock that 300 down to three groups of 100. 
and go take on this horde that is gathered below us, right? And he divides them into three units, and he puts trumpets and empty pitchers in their hands and torches inside the pitchers. Sign me up, right? (laughs) Let's go. I mean, trumpets, pitchers, lanterns, and they go down in groups of 100. Look at me and do likewise, and behold, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. And when I and all who are with me blow the trumpet, you shall blow your trumpets around the entire camp for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle of the night watch when they had posted the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the pitchers in their hands. And the three units blew their trumpets and broke their pitchers. They held the torches in their left hand, trumpets in their right, blowing and shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And each stood in his place around that camp and all the army ran and crying out as they fled. And when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set the sword of one against the other throughout the entire army, and the army fled. And the last part of this story. Then Gideon sends messengers out through the hill country and said, come down against Midian and take control of the waters ahead of them. God has delivered them. And all the men took control of the waters ahead of the army and captured and killed the leaders of Midian. And uh, in my interpretation to finish this story, the route is on. They're on the run. Now people, everybody can be a part of this. And they come down from the hills and stop them in their exit down the waters and they wipe them out and they take the king. And God does what he says he was going to do. Man, what a story. Worth a read two or three times for you again this afternoon to look over this and see what God would have in it. But let's circle back to a couple key points of this story that really are drawn out to me. One is the indisputable, indisputable role of leadership. The people needed Gideon. And for whatever his reasons, God rises up again, a person, and works through people like he's done throughout history. We heard about Deborah a few weeks ago, who inspired the military and said, God can't do this. And they follow it. And now he rises up, Gideon and works through people. God could have wiped that force out on himself. He did, right? He didn't need to work through people, but he did. The indisputable role of leadership. And everyone in this room, we're all leaders in our context. Those we work with, our employees, our co-workers, our family, our wives, our husbands, our kids, our neighborhoods, we all have places of influence. This critical role of leadership is why I've given my whole life to this. And why I've said for however long God gives me, over the next stretch of my life, I'm going to pour myself into Harbor Ministries. We work with strategic leaders. This is where it's at. I mean, they're going to be able to influence and go against the darkness that's kind of closing in on us in these days which we live. You can't deny the role of leadership. God has worked through men and women like you and me throughout history. And these stories are a reminder of that. What else? He does this in such a way that only he will get the credit. Right? Verse 2. You've got to look at it. That the people who are with you are too many to hand the Midian over to them. Otherwise, Israel, Israel would become boastful, saying, my own power has saved me. God's done this before. He's been down this road with Israel. He knows how quickly they'll forget. And so he's going to do this in such a powerful, incredible way that no way they can forget. They can't take credit for any part of this. Only God could do this. And I think he's in that business with you and I as well. Two examples from my own life, real quick. One in the midst of kind of success and another in the midst of struggle, where this was a reminder, only God 
can get us through this. In late 2019, Harbor Ministry Organization I lead that Brian's freed me up to, to do, uh, bought a, a place in Estes Park, Colorado. Big faith journey, took that step, uh, really went after it. And as we entered into 2020, we're a million dollars in debt. And then the world pandemic hit. And I, like all of you, was like, oh boy. I mean, how are we going to come out of this? What have I done? Have we sent this thing, organization, in trouble? And as we entered into that 2020 and March hit, I still felt like this was a story God wanted to tell in 2020. I think this is a story he wanted to tell. Many of you know Brad Brustle uh, on staff here at church. And on December 31st of 2020, he and I went into Cornisker Bank and paid that loan off in its entirety. And I can only tell you it was done in such a way in 2020, in the midst of the crisis that was going on, only way is God wanted that to happen. Only way. No one who gave to it or any of us that worked so hard in it, no way we could have taken credit. Only God can do that. Another time for me, in a time of more struggle. Several years ago, our younger son was a really, uh, in high school, was a really skilled basketball player. He was recruited by multiple colleges and, and just a ride of our lives. It was a great time. But at the end of his junior year, going into his senior year, he had a series of injuries, ended up with three surgeries. And uh, I extended everything I could to make that work and to make that right and to help him chase those dreams, including a trip to Germany in the middle of his senior year to see a specialist over there. And uh, that trip had mixed reviews, but it went okay, and he got to finish his senior year. But Dylan walked through some hardship and a pain journey that he still has today from all those injuries. Fast forward a few years later, we're going through another difficult thing in our family. And Dylan sends me a text that only a person could send has been through the crisis himself. In this situation, I was extending myself again, carrying it, trying to fix it, doing whatever I could, doing so much myself and on my own reliance that I was running out of fumes and kind of in trouble. And he sends me this text. I wanted to read it to you. He said, been thinking about you, Dad, how you're dealing with this tough thing in our family and how tough it is on you, how much you're carrying. I wanted to remind you of your own words and what you share with so many in these Rhythm and 20 and Rogue events you lead, and what you shared with me as I went through the pain and loss during my basketball days. How you put so much of this on yourself to fix it, but you just can't do it. You couldn't get it done because you put it on yourself. You don't have the power to do it. But you can be used by the most powerful God in powerful ways. This isn't under your control, Dad. This is God's job. You need to let him take it. Written by somebody that only could write that if they'd been through the fire. right? And at that moment, the narrative for me began to change. As I realized, yes, God's given me a passion to try and do what I can, and I need to do that. But I got to rely on God on this. I mean, this is his deal. And uh, that's true for all of us today. My question to you at this moment of this story is, is there anything in your life you need to loosen your grip on? (sighs) That you can take a deep breath and say, only God. (laughs) Only God can do this moment. To acknowledge that and name that. Is there a moment there? What else in the story? Radically following God. Radically following God takes courage. It's the first qualifier in this story. It takes courage, especially today, especially with what we're facing, especially as we walk through the last 18 months. Coming forward to you and I, this is going to take moments of courage for us. Uh, Check verse 3. It's the first qualifier, as I said, as Gideon whittles down his army. It says, Now therefore come, claim to the hearing of the people, whoever is afraid and worried is to return and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 of the people return and 10,000 remain. 
So the first thing is, if they're, if they're worried, they can go home. And that wasn't uncommon in the army of those days. If you were worried, scared, don't fight, go home. You're not going to do us any good here. And they were given permission, not shame, but just permission, leave. And so immediately they went down to 10,000, but that's not where it ends. Remember verse 5 and 6? Check it out. So he brought the people down to the water. You shall put everything who, everyone who laps the water with his tongue like a dog in one group, and those who drink the water bow down to drink it in another. And the number of those who lapped the water were 300 men, and God said, I will save Israel with the 300. What is it about that part of the story? Totally changed for me when I started studying this passage. It became not so random. But you think about this. God says we need another test, so Gideon brings the 10,000 down to the water. And most of the people, vast majority, lean down, kneel down, and drink the water. But there was a few who brought the water up to them. A couple things. First, you can't lose the intensity of this moment. <laughs> this is an intense scene. This is happening really quick. This is happening in a day, right? So this isn't over months. This is happening real time. These guys are up on the hill. They see that horde of people that is gathered. They're there to rape their wives and daughters and take everything of value from them. These men are fighting for their lives. And their, re- and their substance, okay? There's an intensity to the scene, and they know they're going against a massive force, which they have no chance to win on their own, okay? But they come down to the water, and some people fall to the ground to drink, but others bring the water up to their mouth. When you understand the intensity of the scene, the whole thing changes. If you're in the military in this room, you know they're bringing the water up, so they're staying alert. They see what's around them. They're taught that instinctively. These 300 did that. But the other thing I see is, as I studied this, and I would submit to you, there is an intensity and a fierceness of these 300 were different. They bring the water up to their mouth and drink it and say, let's go. The water can wait. I mean, we got midnights to fight. The water can wait. And uh, out of that scene, God chooses the 300 of which he will save Israel in that moment. It takes courage. What else? Sometimes God calls you and I into places that just make no sense, that fly against common sense. Can't deny it. There is moments, and until we take that step of faith, only then does it begin to line up and make sense. But there is moments in our life where we're called into something or we're going through something that just makes no sense. My dad died when I was 26. I tried to make sense of that at the time. 35 years later, still trying to make sense of it. I don't know why that happened. I do know that my life changed at that point. We were pregnant with our firstborn, and, and there was an intensity to life and how I would live it and how I wanted to be a dad that changed at that moment. But sometimes we just have to go through things that intellectually and emotionally don't make sense. Oswald Chambers says it really quickly here. He says, suppose God calls you into something that is an enormous test of your common sense. In fact, it totally goes against it. Would you do it? Many say, yes, I would go if what he asks doesn't go against common sense. Don't ask him to step into the dark, though. There are times we do need to risk everything and leap into the dark. Only when we do that will we find what he says is solidly consistent with common sense. Only one in an entire crowd is daring enough to invest in the faith and character of God. We heard about one a few weeks ago, Deborah. We hear about another one in this moment, Gideon, who's willing to step into that dark and go all the way. But he doesn't do it on an island, right? God does give him confirmation. This is, provides some hope for you and I in the midst of this. He says in verse 10, but if you're afraid to go down against that camp, Gideon, 
Go down with Peter, your servant, so that you will hear what they say, and afterward, you will have the courage to go against Midian. He does give him some confirmation in that moment. Really important. And then he gives Gideon an inspired plan. And this is where working through people is engaged. He gives him a plan. Break the 300 into three groups of 100. Give them trumpets. Because you don't got weapons. Midian's got all your weapons. So you're going to use what you got. And he develops this cunning plan. Cunning, in the dictionary, says having a skill set and tactics to achieve one's end. Gideon does that. He gets all that they have. Trumpets, pitchers of water, lanterns. Put the lanterns in the trumpets, sneak down and get as close to camp so you can engage like you and I are here and listen. Get ready. You're in the middle of the night watch. It's dark. They're changing their, they're changing their, their watchmen. So it's a perfect time. Split into 300. Get the trumpets ready. Create chaos. Make noise. Break the pitchers. Blow the trumpets. Say the sword is coming for the Lord and for Gideon, and they surround the camp and do just that, and it creates chaos and panic. It's a brilliant cunning plan. And remember, in that camp, there's animals, right? Camels, too numerous to count. Create noise and chaos in the middle of the night, that's going to create a stampede, and the whole thing happens. God's power, man's sweat, pulls this thing off. Last thing, there's no obstacle too great. There's nothing you're facing that's too great for God not to be able to show you a pathway through it. Now, believe me, believe me, I don't say that lightly in this moment. That's too easy to say by itself. I don't say that lightly. Many of you are coming in with incredible opportunities and success and, and a good run happening, but you've got to kind of discern and you want to be a good steward of it, a lot of complex decisions to make. Some of you are coming in carrying heavy things, heartbreaking things with your family and your kids or, or with your friends. Some of you are facing a health journey that's really overwhelming, that makes no sense in this moment. Believe me, I don't say this lightly, but there is nothing out there, no obstacle facing too great that God can't show a pathway through it for you. That's the truth and the power of this story. So how can we do it? As we finish here, how, what's a couple things we can do to position ourselves well for anything that life throws at us? If you've been here at church for a while, you've heard me say this thing in the last time I spoke last August, I actually gave you this invitation and challenge. Find space. A couple hours this week where you're just you and God. Extended time. Uh, that's the one thing we ask of all the leaders that come through our Rhythm and 20 and Rogue events is they could commit to a full day of space of quiet, of solitude a month where they unplug exterior noise and just seek out God. And, and uh, my ask of you today is think about two hours this week Get back around this passage, see what God would have for you in it. Two hours of quiet solitude, unplug exterior noise, do this different, additional than what you typically do, and find space. Out of that quiet, those that follow it in the organization I lead, that's a difference maker. That's the separator. But those that are doing that, that's different. Find space. Second, name it. Name the struggles you're facing. Be able to put words to it. One thing my wife uh, does is often tells me you've got to find words to what you're feeling. And that's really hard for me to attach it in the moment. I'm kind of a future and vision thinker. And to kind of center right here in the moment of what I'm feeling and experiencing, it's hard for me. Uh, but she really pressed me. And two weeks ago, I've kind of been in this long-term kind of stuck. You know, uh, really slow in the mornings, not being as productive as I usually am. just feels really different. And uh, we're able to put a couple words to that, and I just wanted to share them quickly with you this morning, and, and it, it kind of hit me. I'm feeling lonely, 
and I'm feeling sad, kind of depressed. And that's not really me, and that's a little hard for me to say in front of the stage here, you know, but kind of lonely and depressed. And you and I know you can be lonely in a crowd like this. I mean, you can be lonely, you know, at times, you know, but I was able to identify it, and only when I was able to name it did it begin to make sense for me to kind of felt I could start to navigate through that and figure out what that would take to do that. really helps to name it, and so I'd encourage you to do that today. What do you face and what are you thinking about? Be able to name it. Only then will we start to get the courage we need to take the step and go forward. Last thing, don't forget. That's the value and the beauty of the Old Testament and this book of Judges is it's, it's a roadmap in how to not forget what the consequences are when we turn from God, when we forget what he's done in our, life, in our lives. Don't forget that there isn't anything you're facing that God can't help you through it. I don't care what it is. He can light a path and help you navigate that. There isn't anything. And this story, more than any other, does that for us. I mean, it shows us that no matter what the obstacles, God's around us and he does not let go. Um, I wanted to close with another text I received from a great friend um, who never forgot, no matter what she faced. Uh, Rick and Carol Dan Kroger, great friends of ours, and, and uh, in December or late 2019, she was diagnosed with brain cancer. Uh, they began to treat it and face it very quickly in early 2020, very aggressively, but this thing was very aggressive. And it began to kind of win the day. And it became clear in the summer, last summer, that cancer might win this day. It's not going to win the battle. might win this day for her. But she stuck with it. She kept chasing God, kept following God through all of it. And uh, in August, it became very clear this was coming into the last weeks of her life. And uh, I actually was preaching on this stage in August, late August. And I got down and hit the front row and kind of looked at my phone after I was done. And there was a text from Carol like that quick, within minutes. And uh, Rick, her husband, said she could have never wrote this. She wasn't in the mindset, ability to be this articulate, articulate with it, her words. But boy, God had a moment. It's something I wanted to close with with you today. May this be true of us. She said, Tim, praying for you today. So thankful you follow God's plan as he called you into the total unknown. He met you there and gave you exactly what you needed. Remember, he is everything we need. He is so faithful, even in the circumstances I'm faced. He's complete control. His ways are simply higher and better than our own. We have to remember that. In the devotion I read this morning, Paul said, God will call you to do what you cannot do yourself, but will provide you everything you need to face it. You chose to follow him into the unknown when you started Harbor Ministry. Thanks for teaching me to find God in solitude. Thanks for teaching me about thin places. Those moments when heaven and earth collided have happened many times in the last few months of my journey. And God is transforming my heart and reveals himself to me again and again. This has been the hardest journey of my life, but the best journey of my life. I'll never be the same. Let's pray. God, may that be true of us as you call us and lead us into places that sometimes make no sense, through opportunities, obstacles, struggles that make no sense, can you give us the tenacity and the courage to face them, to keep seeking you? May you give us a willingness to follow you straight into the dark no matter what. 
May you give us a peace that you'll be with us no matter what. Give us a sense that you walk through it every step with us. You have a hold of our arm. You have a hold of our hand. And you will never let go. Amen.